What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippos here. I'm Bob Wankel. And Anthony, the Phillies return home to Citizens Bank Park on a Thursday night to face the lowly Colorado Rockies. It was a gift from the baseball gods, a get-right four-game series. And it still very well may be a get-right series, but it did not get off on the right foot. A listless, pathetic, dreadful, abysmal performance by the Phillies on Thursday night. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic right now in saying that. Um, you were down there covering it. I'll be there later this weekend. Uh, not a great start, man. And it was one of those games where I think that the Phillies are kind of lucky that the rest of the city was taking a look at the Sixers Nets game last night, or otherwise I think people will be banging a panic button again this morning. Yeah, Bob, it was not, it was not a good outing by the offense. Um, and I want to point that out because I mean, yeah, it was a bad game overall, but, but let's be fair that Matt Strom actually really gave them a really good start. Um, and so that's that's a thing, and and there are you know there's an issue coming out of the bullpen as well. We'll we'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah, you cannot go into a game against Ryan Feltner and 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 turn him into like an unhittable pitcher. And to the you know the the players and even Thompson after the game last night were were saying, hey, listen, look, it's, th- some of this is on us. He said, but but sometimes you do have to you know do a hat tip to the pitcher and you know hey this kid was he surprised us a little bit like with how good he was but his stuff was good and and you know look that stuff does happen in baseball like there's no question about it but the the reality of it is is that when you look at it the team is just very hot and cold offensively it's it's an all or nothing at this point there is there's been for a while now there's no middle ground right have, has the phillies have a, have they had a middle ground offensive game in your mind I'm trying to think of the last time I was like, yeah, no, okay, that was that was kind of like okay, but not great, but not terrible. Like I haven't. I mean, I guess I guess uh, a couple of the games against the White Sox. I mean, I know they piled up the hits, but when you look at the run output, you go, okay, like that's yeah. about right, about average. But I mean, like, listen, uh, Paul Casella, who's in for Todd Zalecki right now, while Todd's out on on paternity leave. I don't know if he's back yet. I don't not know yet, if he was no. down there last night, but Paul's an MLB.com writer, and he tweeted out after the game last night, the Phillies are 3-3 three and three in their last six games. In the three wins, they have 26 runs and 46 hits. In the three losses, they have zero runs and 12 hits. And I think for me, like, we can talk about the offensive output. We can talk about some of the stats. On our last show, we did that. We talk about how they're ranked in the top five and a lot of key metrics. But when you get shut out three times in a week, I think that also shows that you have an offense that is vulnerable, one that can be exploited. And when you take on a Colorado team that had really come in just with the the wheels falling off the bus, I believe they were losers of eight in a row prior to last night. That's correct. And you see a guy in Ryan Feltner who has decent stuff, but it just does not have any production or any numbers to go with it. And you see that six-plus ERA. You see that in 25 career starts, I believe Corey Seidman actually tweeted this out last night, if I remember correctly, that he had only had one scoreless start in his career up before last night. So, I mean, you look at a guy that that you should be able to take advantage of as a good offense. Even if the Phillies are missing a piece or two, even if they're not the offense that everybody hopes that they're eventually going to be, that's a guy that you should take care of at home last night to kick off a homestand that I think should really be one that you say, hey, we've screwed around here for the first three weeks of the season. Let's finish this month strong. Let's get back to the 500 mark and to come out with that performance last night, which, you know, listen, it's a long season. We're, we cover the game. We know. Like, we're smarter, uh, smart enough to know that 
you you can't look at one game and bury a team because of it, but just a I, I guess this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but just a dog shit effort, man. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because before the game, we were talking to Rob Thompson, and he was he was saying that he felt like the the one concern that he had to this point with the offense is that they're not walking enough. And what he what he was when he was when he explained explained it and like went into it a little bit after that it was it's more that they they're getting a little bit um like the whole team has 2022 Nick Castellanos disease in the sense that they're not swinging at good pitches they're you know getting behind in counts and they're finding that they have to you know grind a little bit right and 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 try and work uh work their way through um. And and it's it's a it's an it's an issue because there what ends up happening and, and my biggest pet peeve, and, and I'm sure you as a coach would would kind of feel the same way, is they're leaving way too many guys on base because right. of it. And 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 that's not because I'm not saying oh well they're leaving guys on base because they're not walking. They actually walked five times in the game last night. Um, but it's just that they're they're swinging at pitches that they shouldn't be swinging at they're getting over aggressive at times when they don't need to be over aggressive i felt like they were way over aggressive in a game they walked five times last night against feltner i mean feltner pitched through 84 pitches only 58 for strikes and they only had three hits there was weak contact a lot of swing and miss why and 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 that's they left 11 men on base they lead baseball in left men left on base. I think they've now left uh, 156 men on base in 20 games. That's the most in the majors. That to me, that chafes me more than anything else because that those are runs that you're not getting in, right? You talk about being over aggressive. You talk about pitch selection, both of which I totally agree with. I do wonder to what extent, though, there is a correlation between the lack of home run punch that we're seeing from this lineup and maybe pitchers saying, you know what, I don't feel that this lineup right now can really hurt me. They can. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. That's the way the Phillies have worked from an offensive standpoint through three weeks. And, you know, you see this now and you say, all right, they've only drawn 58 walks as a team, which is 22nd in baseball. And then you look over at the home runs and you say, all right, they've hit 18 home runs now in 20 games which is 20th in baseball. And I just wonder if, if you look at if you look at an opposing lineup and you say, I don't feel that this team can deliver a knockout blow to me. Let's let's pound the zone until they start demonstrating on a consistent basis they can do it. I think that there is a rough correlation. No doubt it's about pitch selection. It's about uh, being overly aggressive. But I do think that one of the unspoken parts of this is if I'm an opposing pitcher or I'm an opposing team and I'm game planning against this Phillies lineup right now, I'm not really scared of them. I, I look at the batting average and I say, okay, like I go through the box scores and I say, yeah, they can maybe get us for 11, 12 hits tonight, but are they, are they going to hang that big crooked number on us? Certainly the Phillies have demonstrated some capability of doing that recently and recently as this week. But I also know that there's just not a ton of there's just not a ton of punch right now in this lineup. Well, part of that is, if, if you really want to be specific, part of that is Schwarber, even though he leads the team in home runs, has looked god-awful at the plate. And and so, therefore, he's really he's in a position where he's being asked to provide that power and, and not doing it 
regularly enough. And it's hard to argue, say, well, he's got four home runs in 20 games. Map that out over a full season. You're still over 40 home runs. I get it, right? But at the same time, he just is unproductive, completely unproductive at the plate when every time he comes up. Um, As good as Castellanos has been, he is not hitting for power at all. And he's batting fourth in your lineup, right? So, so if let's if you look at the lineup construction, you have the guy who's got probably the worst batting average of your regulars. Take Jake Cave out of the equation because I don't consider him a regular. Um, so you got Schwarber hitting third, and then you got a guy hitting fourth who's doing well, but ha- has not hit a home run. So the middle of your lineup is not hitting home runs, and that's where you need the home runs to come from. So part of it to me is is a little bit lineup construction, Bob, because you, even though you, you're low in the home run total, and, and Rob Thompson talked about it yesterday. He said, hey, listen, to be fair, when you think of the, the where we've played, we've had a lot of cold weather, right? A lot of yeah. games where – I mean, so have a lot of teams. I, I know. I get that. But come on, man. You know, but I, I, I don't like to use it as an excuse. But with, with the, the, I think really when you look at it, the people in those – in the positions in your lineup where you are expecting the power and the production to come from are not providing it in those spots. And I think that, because you have to try and find this correlation, right? Every statistical metric says the Phillies are one of the best hitting teams in baseball, and yet they're not scoring. Why? And everybody, you're talking about, you are, and you're not the only one asking questions about home runs. It was asked by multiple people yesterday about it right i mean and so so we're all seeing the same thing so you got to try and identify the the reason it's hard it's hard to do but i think it really i think i think it comes down to who's being put in those positions where you need those home runs and they're not providing those home runs well you know that bryce harper is is a couple weeks out here isn't that crazy now Currently, right. We got to talk about that. It's nuts. But go ahead. this is not a, a luxury item anymore. This is a this is necessary. I, I think in a perfect world, you go okay. The, this Phillies lineup has enough depth. The schedule is light enough in April. Bryce comes back around Memorial Day, sometime in June. They should be okay. But the way this thing is sort of rolled out of the gate here, you kind of go, man. They they better hope that he's back by May 15th. Like they need him back right now. And we can talk about the ramifications. It's it's obvious to say getting Bryce Harper back is going to be a huge lift to this lineup, obviously. But what does that actually look like? And when we talk about the latest updates with Bryce, maybe we can dive into what it really means for the lineup. But more immediately, the here and now, you mentioned Kyle Schwarber, who is not hitting. I believe he's hitting 200 this morning. And I believe I looked earlier, and I apologize if this is incorrect, but I believe he's his on-base percentage is at 310 yeah. right now. So that being said, do you continue to ride him out in the three-hole when you know that the production's not there? Or, and I see you shaking your head, but my question is, do you sit here and say that he still represents the one guy that can change the game with one swing, and we know that, Stott and Turner are getting on base, so we just have to continue to take our shots with Schwarber in the three here and hope it works out. Like, is that the way you play this, or or what do you do here? Well, I don't. I, first of all, I never would have put Schwarber at three because he's not a three hitter, and I understand that they're like, well, we got to have somebody there till Harper gets back. Okay, fine. So let's let's you know we're we're taking a, a a look back or step back into baseball's past with all the new rules and everything, like to open up the game and get more action, right? Why not play it that way a little bit? 
because back in the day, your number three hitter was not a, a prototypical power guy. Back in the day, your number three hitter was your your best hitter, your best, best hitter, your just yeah. best average hitter, right? Um, so if if Stott and Turner are getting on base so much, and they are, put somebody behind him who's going to get hits. Just put somebody who gets hits. Doesn't worry about the power. Let the power be a little bit later. Let you know. So to me, I would it's boom. Well, I would I would, but see they they're, they're they they have this whole thing with they don't want to put too many righties in a row, right? And I get it. So and they like Stott leading off and Turner second, I, I, fine. So if 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 that's the case, I, I mean, look, I would put I would go with Bohm, and then I guess you would have to go Schwarber four and Castellano is five. Maybe maybe you can you know do you flip Turner and Stott? Do you put Turner lead off Stott two, and then you go with the lefties at two and five, and you're right. okay going Bohm and Castellano's three four? Because I'll tell you another thing: where Schwarber's hurting them at three. And nobody's talking about this either. Everybody's wondering why Trey Turner is not running so much. He's only got three stolen bases so far. And, oh, he, he's going to steal 70 bags this year. Well, when, when Turner's getting on and Kyle Schwarber comes up and Turner's only got a single, he can't steal second unless it's two strikes on, on Schwarber and it's two outs because they're still shifting Schwarber as much as they're legally allowed. So the second baseman is all the way the hell over. The shortstop is basically behind second base, right. and they're taking away as much as they can the hole on the on the right side. So the thought process is if we steal second with Turner, then the first baseman can come off the line, and Schwarber really doesn't have anywhere to hit. And so, therefore, they are stunting their own running game by keeping Schwarber behind Turner. Well... I am not married to Bryson Stott uh, Stott in the leadoff hole, and I know there have been stories written about it and how he's natural, he's a natural fit, and he's done it throughout his life, and he's comfortable there, and the Phillies like him there. That's great. You mentioned it the other day, and he's actually he's actually doubled his output in this regard, but he's up to two walks now in 91 plate appearances. He had one yesterday. And, and I'm not going to sit here and, and be critical of Bryson Stott. It would be absurd. The guy's hitting 360. He's hit safely in 19 out of 20 games. He's been phenomenal. He's been everything that you could possibly hope that he would be and more to this point. So this is in no way, shape, or form a criticism of Bryson Stott. But for that reason, I am not necessarily married to him in the leadoff hole, given what is sitting behind him. If every Everything else were firing on all cylinders, I'd say, yeah, leave him there. That's great. I love it. But because you are playing from a like a deficit, there's something just deficient about this lineup. I think you have to kind of make those tweaks. And so to me, you go back to Turner one, you flip Stott to two, and then you kind of take your chances from there. But I think that one of the things that I, I just every time I watch this team play, I keep coming back to this. I'm like, where do I really point my my critical eye? Where do I point the criticism? Is it that the the core guys like Schwarber, like Turner, they haven't produced from a power standpoint, or in, in Schwarber's case, he's not getting on base enough, he's not hitting enough. Um, or is it that I look down the lineup and I just see on any given night two or three players that I just do not want to see in a starting lineup consistently? And like we talked about Jake Cave this spring, and he earned a spot on this team. And again, it's almost like overexposure, which we're going to talk about with Andrew Bellotti, I'm sure, a little mm-hmm. bit later on. But I don't, I don't know that Jake Cave is a, a bad hitter or that he's not doing his job. I just think we're seeing way too much of him. And 
so when you watch this lineup play, you're like, you want to say, well, the guys aren't being the guys right now. But at the same time, there's two guys at the bottom of this order that you just don't want to line up every day. Yeah, I mean, and I agree with you on that. And, and and I think that that's what it is with Cave. It's it's really become overexposure with him. I think that if you thought of Jake Cave as, hey, he's your lefty bat off the bench, I'm cool with that. I mean, he's still, he right. still, when he makes contact, he, he makes hard contact. Um, but as an everyday player, which he's kind of been thrust into that role a little bit, especially against right-handers, it, it just, it's not there. It's non-existent. Like that's, he's not that he can't be that. Um, so yeah, maybe once Harper comes back, you know, he kind of fills that need off the bench as the lefty bat, um, but for now, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a hole in the lineup. It really is. And, you know, Josh Harrison, has, you know, had a great game against the White Sox. He's actually been, you know, decent for them of late. But you can't be counting on Josh Harrison at this point in his career as an everyday guy. He needs to be your, you know, right-hander off the bench and comes in as a utility guy. And that's fine. That's a good role for him. But it's not – you can't be counting on him on an everyday basis. So now, you know, if you have – Schwarber not hitting, and then you have those two guys in your lineup at the bottom. That's a third of your lineup that's that's not giving you anything. And then Real Muto is all over the place. He's either you know he's been good for a few games, but then last night he wasn't very good again. So he's his on base is two eighty six, right? He's not getting on base. So you add that into the mix, and then all of a sudden you start looking and say, well, the lineup maybe isn't as as productive as we think because it's really only coming from five of the nine spots and so well, there's there's right there's two ways you look at it you look at these you look at all the metrics and you say okay they grade out fairly well on each of them individually and, and in time the run production will follow suit or you look at this and say they've played roughly an eighth of their season they are scoring 4.35 runs per game which is 21st in baseball and one thing that's interesting, if you go through and you look at the teams that are really struggling to score right now, there are a few that sort of jump off the page and you say like, oh, I'm a little bit surprised by that. Namely, San Diego, 3.81 runs per game. That Padres offense has been dreadful to this point. I know they just got Tatis back last night. He was over five, but that'll certainly help jumpstart things, I would think, moving forward. Question I have for you. If you remember when we were talking about the Cincinnati Reds, who the Phillies have seen seven times this season, what was the li- uh, what was the word that you used to describe the Cincinnati lineup? Was it was it non-competitive? Yeah. Was it dreadful? It's, like uh, it, 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 go ahead. Pick, pick, unprofessional? Pick, like pick it your, was pick your adjective. <laughs> right. It, a terrible lineup and you see through 20 games that Cincinnati has 4.47 runs per game. I mean they're outscoring the Phillies lineup right now. So we can sit here and talk about batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage, double output, triple output. And I did that the other day. And I do think that that bodes it should bode well that it'll kind of course correct over time. But until Bryce Harper gets back, this might just be what it is. And I don't know that it gets any easier. Hopefully they figure it out this weekend against an awful Rockies pitching staff. But then you go play the Mariners, formidable opponent. You have the Astros. And then we've talked numerous times about what that May schedule looks like. So until Bryce Harper gets back and hopefully he hits the ground running, which is no guarantee for a guy that did not have spring training, for a guy that is not going to take a rehab assignment, I know that they feel really good about the you know the technology that he's using and he's seeing live pitching, and that's all fine and well, but 
unless he comes back and is Bryce Harper, like this lineup could really be in for some turbulence for the first two, three months of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be, but I, I, again, and this is where I want to, this is where I want to, I want to pump the brakes because we could sit there and we can identify, you know, what's gone wrong in these games where they get shut out and you should not get shut out three times in six games. Right. I mean, that's, that's not a good thing, but in the grand scheme, when we when we're analyzing the lineup in general, right? I mean, you you can't just say, oh well, they they got shut out three times to, against you know lesser opponents in April, and all of a sudden that means that there's a problem with the lineup. Because ultimately, that I don't think that that's when we look big picture, that's not the case. I, I I'm I want to say that when you look and not just looking at those those standard statistics, right? But when you when you look at at even the um, the other metrics that are that really kind of look at at what teams do well, at what lineups do well. Like the Phillies are at or near the top in absolutely everything, and the only two spots that they're not is with well, three. If you, you know, walks, obviously we talked about the home runs are down. We talked about that, and runners in scoring position. They just do not hit with runners in scoring position. Um, so that's that to me is a. But those are all like things that you look at and say those are fixables. Right. Those right. are things that they can they can correct and can get going in the right direction. So grand scheme, I sit there and go, yeah, this isn't good right now. And yeah, it's really not good because they're they're getting putting themselves in a hole in the division. Like you can't get there. But at the same time, if this continue if if this if the metrics continue to be what they are, they're going to produce runs they're going to hit the home runs they're going to eventually start walking and and things should be okay and if you can combine that with we're seeing better stuff out of their pitchers for the most part then then you sit there and go okay that should that should be fine and it shouldn't be that further down the road but you're run, you are running a little bit out of time on how long you can, you can be willing to wait for that so I, I think that's a that's a really good point. I'm I'm totally with you on this. I want to take a step back now and sort of look at the big picture before we jump into Matt Strom, some of the pitching uh, scenarios here as Ranger Suarez works his way back. Is Matt Strom opened up your eyes enough where you start to wonder, like, does he stick in this rotation? We'll get to all that in a minute. But I want to touch on something that you just sort of briefly alluded to where they're at in the division. And this is real now. So the Phillies are eight and 12 and I don't want to come on here today and, and be sounding alarms or anything like that. They get a series win against the white Sox. I think that that's a good starting point. You're just waiting to see something translate with this team though. You're waiting to see them put together two, three, four games in a row of consistently quality baseball. And that is something that has eluded them so far. I would tell you in no uncertain terms prior to this series that the Phillies have to win three out of four. And obviously they get off on the wrong foot last night and they set themselves up in a situation now where they have to do something they haven't done yet this year, which is win three consecutive games. I don't know if they're going to do it or not. They better do it on Friday night with Aaron Nola on the mound. Phillies are a minus 320 favorite in this game over the Rockies, by the way. And I know that Christopher Sanchez goes Saturday before Wheeler closes things out on Sunday. You have a distinct advantage in at least two of these three games, and you hope that Sanchez can do enough to, to combat Freeland on the other side with Colorado on Saturday. I mention this because in my mind, I really did come into this series saying, and this homestand saying, they've got to find a way 
to just get to 500 by the time it's done. And they're sitting here at eight and 12. Now the best you can hope for at the end of this Colorado series is 11 and 12. Then you hope that they would take two out of three against the Mariners. And then, okay, finally they've, they've sort of cleared that hurdle going into that final series of the month with the Astros. Do you, I'm not going to sit here and ask you, you think the Phillies need to be 500 at the, the end of the month. But what I would ask you is this, given the start that the Mets have gotten off to, they've rebounded here nicely after some early scuffles themselves. And certainly Atlanta has just been red hot from the jump. Are the Phillies out of, I, I feel like we're, this is like the Phillies podcast equivalent to first take, but are the Phillies kind of already punting on the division? Like, is the division a realistic goal at this point? Or are we right back to where we were last year, which is, Thank God for the expanded wildcard format. <laughs> um, look, you can never say they're out of it, right? I mean, we saw that the Mets had a 10-game lead on the Braves last year, and and the Braves came back and won the division, right? So partially because the Mets collapsed, partially because the Braves are really good. Um, so, you know, those there's a lot that can still happen. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're getting – I mean, we've talked about this, Bob, and I, and I, I really – stressed several times what I felt was the importance of getting to 11 and 12 after the 23 games, because that's when, that's when the, that's when the schedule started to get harder and you start looking at that harder stretch of games and you say, okay, well, we, they need to be hanging around 500 or a little bit of, maybe a couple games over if possible by the time they get through that stretch. And so if, if you're going to have all those tough games, you gotta you gotta anticipate that you're probably going to play f- around 500 ball against really good teams, and then you should beat the really bad teams, right? You should d- dominate the really bad teams, 500 against good teams, and then you end up being a, you end up winning 90 games. So they got to get themselves back to that 11 and 12. And last night, I think was a, was a missed opportunity. Now, yeah. That said. You win the next three, you're there. You got to, you did what you needed to do after a one and five start. You went 10 and seven, and that's good. And so there's still an opportunity to do it. But they've now given, they've now given up all their mulligans. They don't have a chance. So you cannot lose another game to the Rockies. You just can't because it's, it's just hurting you knowing what's coming. Right? Do they know that? Do they think like that? Did they in the clubhouse last night? No. I've walked into that clubhouse many times, right? Oh, I don't think that the Phillies are I really don't. I don't think anyone had a conversation last night like, boys, we gotta we gotta take the next three or we're in a lot of trouble. Uh baseball players don't think like that. No, right. But I do know, and I, I don't know if you can provide any insight. I've walked into that clubhouse after bad losses a number of times over the last few years, and some losses have a different feel than others there's some losses that just you just wipe it away no big deal there's some losses that are devastating and then there's like that in between of like that was pretty bad we need to get our shit together like any tone any vibe at all coming out of that clubhouse last night no and and mostly because there was not really anybody in the clubhouse last night (laughs) (laughs) um when we when we were were back home i'm getting out of here yeah they were okay. they were quick getting out of there last night. I mean, there guys were. We walked we walked in to talk to Strom, and there were already seven eight guys like dressed with their backpacks on, walking out like walking out the door. Like they were that quick to get out. Um, but I will say that I do notice that a couple of guys who you normally see around the clubhouse who are you know 
uh, guys who, you know, run that kind of run that clubhouse, they were absent. And that was like a Kyle Schwarber and a real Muto. Uh, you know, Turner talked last night. Great. But um, you didn't see Alec Bohm. We didn't see Brandon Marsh. We didn't see Bryson Stott. Like, none of these guys were there. In they the- must have had, uh, they were back in town. They must have had dinner plans last night or something. Something. Because yeah. none of them were there. I mean, Castellanos is there every day. Like, I, th- I'll tell you, the guy, he doesn't, he doesn't hide from the media. He doesn't care if there's an interview or not. Like, he doesn't, he's just sitting there at his locker doing his thing. But he's like really the only one. And Turner talked after he showered. But um, yeah, it was, it was Strom. It was Turner. Castellanos is there. And then, like, I mean, nobody really went up to Andrew Bellotti. I think everybody kind of felt bad, <laughs> but, but he was he was there. Right? But yeah. but that's it. I mean, there was no no one else in the room. It was, a, you know, there's normally guys sitting around having a beer, playing the ping pong, whatever. Nobody was there. So it's hard to say what the what the feeling was. But I got the sense from I mean, you know, you, you listen to Thompson and you could tell when he gets a little I mean, he's he's a pretty even keeled guy. And you could tell when he, you know, gets a little bit more amped up, or when he gets a little bit more confident. And he's still kind of where he's been all along. Like, you know what? Hey, it's baseball. That's kind of his mentality at this point. Um, so no, I don't have any additional vibes that I can pull out yeah. of that clubhouse from yesterday. But I do, I do get the sense, just from you know pregame conversations, that you know they are they they are identifying where the concerns are and that they really need to fix those areas moving forward because they can't keep having those things happen so maybe maybe it's one of those there's a little bit of concern starting to creep in but not nothing that's like you know sounding alarms by any stretch of the imagination so Matt Strom last night was probably one of the uh he was the lone bright spot I don't need to sugarcoat this Uh, or maybe uh, Connor Brogdon I'll I'll, I'll say that he was a bright spot as well last night but last night uh Strom goes five and a third innings three hits allowed obviously gives up the home run in the first puts the Phillies in a hole but 11 strikeouts and on the season now he has thrown let's see here 18 total innings a .94 whip 27 strikeouts I guess uh, the best way to ask this, we know the belly falters throwing the ball pretty well um, as well. Ranger Suarez comes back. What's going to happen with Matt Strom? Has he pitched his way into this rotation? Um, Has he just shown that he can be super versatile and he'll be bumped out, but if they need him, they can slot him back in? Like, what, How do you think this thing shakes out here? That's a It's a great question, Bob. And I was actually asking questions about him yesterday before the game um because you know what what's really changed with him and he the the one thing i've kind of noticed is he's striking out people like you wouldn't believe i mean like this is like you know it it was at one point you know he was and i don't i didn't do the final numbers but i put a tweet out i think it was something like you know he he had uh 18 of his previous 42 guys he had struck out and this is a guy who's never been a strikeout pitcher so like to, to have that is 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 pretty fascinating to me he's now uh struck out overall uh 27 batters in 18 innings where does that come from like this this right. is ne- this has never been matched Trump. and you know Tom, i think that's talk- the third the third highest K per nine amongst qualified starting pitchers right now. Yeah, so Thompson talked about him being deceptive because he's not overpowering, 
right? And 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 he is. He's got a little bit of a deceptive delivery. Strom was talking about uh, a change in his. Well, his used to used to be like a curve. But used to be they, they called it a curveball. Um, now he's calling it a slider. I don't know if this is that new definition sweeper. I don't even know if that's what it is, to be honest with you, but he's calling it a slider. But he was talking about how he was having trouble with his curveball last year and that at spring training, Caleb came up to him with an idea of, hey, let's try it like this. What do you think? He said, I threw it once, and he said, that felt awesome. I'm going to stick with it, and he stuck with it. And that maybe that is setting up his fastball a lot better. So 27 strikeouts in 18 innings is pretty darn good. Um, what do you do with him is, is a great question. I, look, I, I like Matt Strom more than I like Bailey Falter as a starting pitcher, if that makes – if that and Falter's not been bad. I mean, he's been pretty good, right? I think that if Suarez comes back and everybody else is kind of no, – there's no other injuries and you have to make a decision, I, I'd be more inclined to go with – keep Strom in the rotation – and make Falter your third lefty out of the pen who can pitch multiple innings. But, and I asked somebody this last night, we were just having a conversation up in the press box, and he made a good point. said, but what if Matt Strom is the guy who can come in and pitch multiple innings in relief whenever you need him, and he can kind of give you the same kind of production? You kind of like that retro Ranger Suarez role. Yeah, and I was like, like, you know what? That's... Maybe that's better than having him go every fifth day, right? Maybe that's and, a more he, beneficial thing. I think the other school of thought on that as well is that does falter stuff tend to play a little bit better as a starting pitcher? Is he really a guy that you're going to use in high leverage relief spots? Probably not. So like, but, and I get it. You have a multi-inning guy in falter. You can, you can use him that way. Uh, there's, there's points to be made on both sides of it, but I think I'd almost be inclined to to remain with Falter in the rotation and use Strom exactly the way that you just pointed to. Um, this thing will probably sort itself out over the next two or three weeks, but if you had to make the decision today, it's certainly an interesting question. And if everything continues as is, it's an interesting question. Who knows what's going to happen between now and the time they actually have to make the decision? Yeah, and I, and I would, I would, I would say the last thing on this is that, when, and it's, you make a good point when you say it'll play itself out. I think the decision when it, when it comes time to make that decision will be dictated not so much by how Matt Strom is pitching, but really how the rest of the rotation is pitching. Right. In all yeah. honesty, because if they're yeah. still struggling, if you still got you know Nola and Wheeler not being Nola and Wheeler. And you don't really have that consistency in the rotation. Well, maybe you keep Strom there because he's doing so well in that role, at least until they, you know, figure their shit out. Um, but if they start to show over their next few couple of starts, few starts that they're getting back to who we all thought they could be, then yeah, you're probably right. Matt Strom does serve as a better role in that, you know, multi-inning relief role out of the pen. I think I just need to see it a few more times. I mean, we're coming off of he's one start removed from going two and two thirds innings. And we had the, the conversation about whether he should have been given more rope in that game to get through the third and possibly the fourth. But 
I, I almost want to see it with a little bit more consistency before I make some steadfast case that he should be the guy that sticks here. Uh, but I think you're right. What happens around him is very important. And it's one of the things now that you see this rotation starting to stabilize in the middle. Walker was good against the White Sox. Falter gave you a really good start in the second game of the doubleheader. Strom was good last night. It's Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler that you're sort of waiting on here. You know, Wheeler's had some decent starts. Nola has sort of struggled even in that last start against the Reds. We'll see what he does this weekend. We haven't seen the vintage Aaron Nola yet, and you kind of just watch Zach Wheeler right now, and you sort of still feel like he's feeling his way through things as well. And I think that that is, as much as we talk about the lineup and some of the bullpen issues, a big reason why the Phillies are sitting here four games under 500 right now. I have to wrap this up in the next five minutes or so, but uh, I think that we almost have to talk about two things very quickly. We'll get to Bryce Harper to wrap the show up. There's new timelines out even of this morning. Uh, Want your thoughts on that for sure. I do want to touch on the Andrew Bellotti situation here, though, a little bit. We've talked numerous times on the show about his usage. He's on pace to appear over 90 games so far. Should Rob Thompson be charged with assault? for what he's doing to Andrew Bellotti right now? Or is this really just a, a product of this rotation not getting deep into games and they should be to blame? Like, what, how the hell do you figure this out? Because Andrew Bellotti looks cooked right now, buddy. Yeah, he does. And and he Thompson was asked this afterwards. Like, you think you've used him too much early. And, and, and the very first thing he said was, yeah, and then went into his answer. And it's like, Okay, so are you really using? Did you really believe you're using him too much, or was the yeah just kind of yeah? I knew this question was coming, um, and it never really kind of got bro- broken out. But he did say <clears throat> that the problem right now is is he's really struggling to locate his secondary pitch, which is his slider, um, and as a result, it's teams are just sitting on his fastball. And if he says if he can't get the slider across, then he's not going to be successful. So. I, I think what for whatever reason, it's not like he doesn't – it's not that he's cooked on his arm action, like his power, his fastball is still there uh, even after all these appearances. It's just that he's not – his secondary pitch is just not – it went away. It disappeared. And without that, Andrew Bellotti is, is just a guy. He's just a, he's just a replacement-level player at that point because he's – you can't be a one-pitch pitcher out of the bullpen unless you have, like, a dominant fastball, which he does not have. He's got a good one, but not a dominant one. So he needs that second pitch, and without it... So I have a, I have a feeling you're going to see Bellotti take a you know a little pause here. Um, yeah. I think that he'll only be used in lower leverage kind of situations, and they might turn to someone else to kind of try and fill that role. I mean, look, I mean... Brogdon was was really good again yesterday. Struck out the side. Um, I think that's only the second time he's had a, a perfect relief outing, and by that I mean a perfect inning with with the striking out the side. And granted, one of them was a uh, <laughs> was a pitch clock violation strikeout, but um, nevertheless, I, I think you're going to start to see maybe Brogdon in a little bit more kind of that role. Um, and less of and less of Bilotti. so maybe that's kind of th- that kind of thing can happen. All right, and then let's. Uh, I think we kind of buried the lead here. Uh, <laughs> Amazingly, the Phillies, the Phillies need uh, an injection of life and and some production into that lineup, and they uh, apparently might get it here uh, much sooner uh, than later. And 
Just uh, doing a quick little Twitter scroll here mid-show, I see uh, an implication that Bryce Harper could potentially return for the Red Sox series on May 5th. It's always been about milestones uh, with him. It's the All-Star break. It's Memorial Day. Uh, How about Cinco de Mayo? Uh, I believe I wrote that yesterday, Bob. Um, yes, yes. And I'm, I, it's amazing to me. Like this is, this is superhuman stuff. And, but you watch them. Like I was, I was down there, um, before they even started taking uh, regular BP and warm up before the game and Harper's out there doing his live BP. And then, and it looked, I mean, every swing just, I'm granted he's hitting off a single A pitcher, but every, every swing was just so majestic right I mean, it really was like he's crushing balls to the wall like off the wall and it's like it's like man it's like you're watching Roy Hobbs all of a sudden right come out in the in the in the natural I mean it was it was awesome and I was even having more fun watching him put in first base work with Bobby Dickerson because it was real it was fundamentals at its finest it's like you it's like almost like this the stuff you teach kids when you want them to learn to play the position right and Bobby Bobby Dickerson's talking to him about footwork and things like that and i was like this is exciting this is fun and then you know to hear that hey as soon as as soon as Elatrosh says yeah you're good to slide he's coming right back and so we kind of knew the last update that his visit to Los Angeles was going to probably coincide with their trip to LA um of course he could have flown on his own but it makes a lot of sense that they do it and the timing of the surgery and everything else it made a lot of sense for him to be visiting him when the team goes out there and Thompson said yesterday as soon as he's cleared he'll be ready to go with DH that's it so no you know Harper he likes to be the kind of you know grand return kind of thing so that's why we're looking at that Red Sox series as you know hey that's the first home series after he, they go to la that makes it's a sellout it's, it's gonna be a it's, sellout. It's a, and i said that at the end of the i said that at the end of the story yesterday I said hey buy your tickets now before they make the announcement and they go up they triple in price um but i leave this door open for you what if may first comes they get out to la he goes and sees elatrosh that afternoon and elatrosh goes yep you're good to go are you really not playing him those three games in L.A. just so you can have a return against the Red Sox on the fifth in front of the home? Crowd? No, I mean, listen, when he's ready, he's ready. I, I And if a doctor tells you that you are physically ready to go without restriction, without limitation, there's really no reason to, to stay back. I, there's this as part of me, and I, I just read this in the Gelb story, Tony Womack and 2004 came back from this in 182 days. If Harper comes back on May 5th, it'll be 163 days, which is essentially beating the the all-time record for this by three weeks. There is part of me, like this this conservative part of me, that's like every day is a you know every day that goes by, it's just a little bit better. Like you don't need to rush it. Just give him those three extra days. I know when we're talking about a handful of days, it doesn't really make a difference, but I just. I would be surprised by that. I really would. I just think it's get back, get the Philly. Like this team needs, I think that like emotional boost right now. Uh, I think that that yeah is probably and, the way it and goes. The one, and the one other thing, final thing on this, and, and you're right, a thousand percent. Because if you really look at the May schedule, and we talked about how difficult it is, but if you look at it, weirdly enough, there are five off days built into May. They only had mm-hmm. one in April. Okay, well, it ends up we're gonna have two. 
because of the rain out, but at the, or snow out or cold out, whatever the hell it was in Chicago. But there's only there's five off days, and so he is coming back, but he's going to have extra days built in to kind of rest it a little bit. So it really kind of makes sense with all that uh, calendar. To, to it, it really works in their favor in that regard. I do have one last thing. I know we got to wrap it, but I mean, this is I think this is a thirty second conversation. You got. I have two words, and I'll, I'll get your reaction. Max Scherzer. Cheater. <laughs> Cheater. <laughs> I mean, this isn't the first time we've been down this road. Right. And I appreciate his response. And I don't know what else he's going to say. He says, listen, it's sweat. It's rosin. These are the rules. And I thought I was within them. And then he doesn't appeal because he says it's not going to a third party arbitrator. It's Major League Baseball. I'm just going to take my suspension. But listen, man, like. You know, they said that when they did that check, that's the stickiest a hand has been since they've started doing these checks. I refuse to believe that that was just a natural occurrence. Someone has been monitoring this. Someone, like, they talk about this stuff. They went out there with a predisposition to say, like, something's up here. They felt it. They thought it was wrong. And, like, yeah, you know what? Bang the guy for it. It was the highlight of the Joe Girardi era when he was here. It was great. When he stripped on the mound, I was there that night. Yeah. That was, that was, that might be the highlight of my beat writing career. <laughs> you know, there was all that back and forth between them and the, and the Nationals, yeah. right? Um, that how dare you? Yeah. You know, it's like the, we've seen this before. And I'm not telling you that Max Scherzer's Lance Armstrong. Like, let's not get carried away here. But like, we've seen athletes get caught before, they double down. They're the ones that get the most miffed about it, the most offended. How dare you? Uh, you know, hey, guess what, Max? Enjoy, uh, enjoy your 10-day break. And, and you know what? The reason – I will tell you that the reason he decided not to appeal it is because he's guilty. Yeah. And not because, oh, it's Major League Baseball, not third party. That's a great excuse that his agent probably came up with and told him to say. Uh-uh. He's not appealing it because he knows it would look even worse because it, the baseball is not going to give up you know, give in on this. So enjoy the time off, pal. And LOL Mets. <laughs> yeah. always, always, always. Even when they're winning, LOL Mets. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of Crossed Up. Uh, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to your podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Oh, that's the wrong one. Uh, that's the Crossing <laughs> Broadcast. I put the wrong – I hit the wrong button. Damn. Here is the right – there's the right get, one. There it is, yeah. <laughs> Subscribe all those places, at Anson Philly, at Bob Wankel CB, at Up Phillies. There you go. All right, thanks, and we will talk to everybody soon.